Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today we have an amazing guest and Mr. Andy Freeman from Enjoy Communities. Before we dive in, I want to take a quick second and ask a favor of you. If you would mind taking an extra 30 seconds and heading over to iTunes to rate this podcast with five stars, this would help us get more listeners. And it also means the world to me for you to take the time to do that. So thanks for making my day with that five-star review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Andy is the founder of Enjoy Capital Group. Enjoy Capital is an emerging private equity investment group with a growing portfolio of mobile home parks. They currently have over 300 lots under contract. Andy formerly worked as the VP of acquisitions for third four properties from 2020 to 2022, helping to facilitate the purchase of 10 mobile home parks in the Midwest and actively participated as a member of the general partnership to help operate, enhance, and add value to these mobile home parks. Andy, we are excited to welcome you to the show. Andrew. Super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes. Let's dive right in, if you don't mind. Can you tell us about your story and how you ultimately got into manufactured housing communities? Yeah, it seems to be a common theme. A lot of these people with the same background, how they got into it, it's podcast, it kind of piques your interest. But before I even got into the podcast, I was doing accounting out of college, decided it wasn't for me, pursued a job in sales with a Toyota really hit the ground running with that, became a top level salesperson in my, my second full year, sold 560 something cars. The number I look back on, it's, I can't even believe I spent that much time, worked that hard, but two plus cars per day on average for a wow. year. And I did that year in and year out until ultimately I burnt myself out. And I said, man, this is fun for now, but I can't be doing, I can't sell cars at this pace at 60. I need to get into real estate, get some passive income or put my money to work while I'm sleeping and not having to show up at the dealership every day just to make the money. So ultimately found some podcasts. I think I, I saw Kevin Bupp on bigger pockets that really resonated with me. He was a great ambassador for the industry. And I just went down the rabbit hole of listening to every podcast. And that was three to four years ago, just did databasing, cold calling, got some parks under contract and just pursued that full time and actually just immediately quit and did that full time. I didn't, there was no progression where I was balancing two jobs. I just quit full time my car job and and the rest is history. Wow. So you got some parks under contract and then we're looking to assign them or or we're looking to take those down yourself. Okay. Yeah. So I was planning to purchase them all myself that the car job kept me so busy. I really had no time to spend my money. So I just banked a lot of money and I also Sold my primary residence, moved in with my girlfriend and her mother, which is, sounds a little embarrassing, but it was a financial decision to make to save as much money as I could because I was going to buy mobile home park on my own and generate passive cash flow, right? It was going to be easy, just going to cut my hours down, buy a park, cash flow, and live off it. So that was, that was the plan. And I got three parks. That's the dream. That's, that's what some of the podcasts told me was I was yeah. going to be like. So you don't even have to manage it. It just runs itself. Nope. Yep. You just did you. Yeah. So <laughs> fo- foolish thinking on my part. So I got three under contract. I was trying to buy all of them. I was, took a break from work to go do due diligence, went to Ohio, Iowa, Kansas City, did the due diligence, and then came the hard part, getting loans. Was, that's a, another story. But basically, 
everything I kind of listened, you know, heard didn't necessarily pan out the way I thought. So end up doing some partnerships. But yeah, those first parks were, my whole plan was to purchase them on my own and to take them all down. And actually none of that happened. I took them down, but it wasn't on my own. Gotcha. Gotcha. But you probably learned a ton, you know, uh, partnering with others. And and did you need a balance sheet partner to come in to, to be able to get the loans qualified? Yeah, I, I needed someone that was in the area that had banking relationships. My, my balance sheet was was pretty good because I had saved a good amount of money. I was a pretty high earner with by selling that many cars, but I didn't have the requisite experience and I didn't live near where the parks were. I'm from California. Banks didn't really want to even have anything to do with me unless I moved to where the park was. And it was a kind of a chicken and egg thing. I wasn't going to move to Ohio just to apply for a loan in Ohio and, and then get rejected, but they wouldn't process my application unless I lived there. So I needed someone with banking relationships, an experienced operator with better connections than I had at the time. So that's the route I went. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Why did you start looking in the Midwest? You know, you lived in California. What led you to the Midwest as your starting point? Yeah, being from California, I I know I hear the rumblings and talk. people kind of bash on California from being out of state. And as you become a landlord and you're operating mobile home parks, you quickly realize that the landlord laws in California are in very big favor of the, the tenant, not the landlord. And it's just not a good recipe for, for rental properties. And I've seen the parks in California, they're super dense, old, overpriced. So I was looking for cash flow. So the Midwest, I felt had the right balance where you could still more concentration of mom and pop owners, good cash flowing properties. And so that's why I kind of focused there at first. And it also helps that, you know, hurricanes don't hit the Midwest every, every often, you know, I, I'm in Orlando today. It's uh, what, September 27th. And tomorrow there's this big hurricane that's supposed to be, you know, landing here. And uh, if you have a bunch of mobile home parks, that's not a good thing, you know, in Florida the next yeah, couple I, of days. So I appreciate, you t- I appreciate you taking the time to do the podcast amidst a, a pending hurricane. <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I love this. This is, this is a hobby for me. Um, so tell us about Enjoy Communities. You know, tell us what the goals are, what type of parks you target and so forth. Yeah. So for Enjoy Communities, the name might sound a little cheesy, but the whole premise was there's th- different types of parks, as you well know, there's stabilized parks with a good tenant base. There's, and then there's the infill projects that you typically are going to inherit a not as good of tenant base. You're going to have to do a lot of tenant turnover. You're going to have to a lot of bring in new homes and it's going to kind of always be adversarial with the tenant base until you get it stabilized. And those parks are more challenging. So with Enjoy Communities, the whole goal was to acquire stabilized parks with good tenant base, good history of paying tenants, especially in this current market. The whole goal is not to take on too many large value add projects. We want to enjoy operating the parks, visiting the parks. We want the tenants to enjoy living in the parks. And we want to be, we want to have that common aligned interest where the tenants and the owners are in unison and get along versus having a continued riff like in in some you know ownerships that you see. So we don't want to make the news for hiking up rents too high on tenants. We want to have a good balance where we're doing improvements before rent raises. We want to make sure that anything we do to increase rent, it's because we've done an equivalent upgrade of the park itself. So that's kind of the background we're based on. We're not targeting necessarily 100 unit, 200 unit parks. We're trying to get in that 50 to 100 unit space acquire from mom and pop. Our ultimate goal, which maybe this will be your answer to your question later on, but we want to find a park that's well run by the previous ownership, but where they don't necessarily treat it like a business and they're not necessarily operating it as financially 
smooth as like as we would ourselves as bigger operators. So that's kind of the overview of what we're trying to do here. Very nice. Very nice. So stabilized parks, not big infill value add projects. And then you're just, you know, tweaking the knobs to to run it a little bit better than they did. Is that, is that about right? 50 Correct. to 100 units. Uh, what about utilities? What what kind of utilities, you know, will you buy or not buy? Or, or are you just looking at everything and anything? City utilities is strongly preferred. We have for sewer systems, try to stay away from lagoon and treatment plant just for the for the size of the parks we're buying, 50 to 100 unit, the CapEx for a failed treatment plant could crush us more so than if it's a 200 plus unit park. So on the utilities, we're trying to stay city utilities. We'll consider well water as long as the wells are newer and everything's in order, um, but primarily city water, city sewer is the goal. Nice, nice. Yeah, that's the same with us. We've just noticed it's just it's tough to run those private utilities, specifically the well. There's a, there's a lot of liability that comes with it. You know, if you, uh, you know, potentially poison, you know, a, uh, you know, your, your tenant base, right. Inadvertently, that's like a, a huge liability. So I agree. City is definitely preferred. Let me ask you, what do you think is the toughest hurdle for most operators in mobile home park ownership? I know you've done more than just acquisitions previously. So what do you think is that, that toughest hurdle? The toughest hurdle is, at first getting started and finding you're going to, you're going to underwrite so many deals and it's hard to actually pinpoint one. And once you finally do get a park under contract, you're, you're going to either talk yourself out of it or talk yourself into it. It was just kind of, it, it goes both ways. If it, if it's, if you're too afraid to pull the trigger, you might talk yourself out of it. But if you're committed to the deal and you're spending your hard earned money on due diligence, you're going to talk yourself into buying it. So you really just have to look at the park from a number standpoint, high level and make sure it makes sense on paper before you dive into it. And you always, I mean, I, I would say 99% of people just getting started are going to underestimate CapEx and, and other items. I kind of just made a post about the stuff you see missing on broker performance and, and seller pro, and prospective buyer performance. They leave out so many items like trees, security deposits for utilities. There's a huge list of stuff you just don't factor into CapEx that are, that you, you know, you're going to experience those things on day one. And if, if you're not prepared for it and you're using all your money, I mean, you could sink before you even get started. Agreed. You got to have a, a miscellaneous category yes. because there's stuff you don't even know, uh, right? Yeah. That, you know, you need to have, uh, depending on the size of the park, you need to have, I think, 50,000 is, you know, a, a minimum to just have on the sidelines to be able to cover, you know, those those hidden CapEx costs that come up. Because if you don't have them, like you said, it'll cause turnover, it'll cause problems. And and then you're, you know, using cash flow that otherwise was going to be paying your pref. So, yeah, I agree. And I also... I, I can totally relate on talking yourself out of deals. We've done that multiple times this year. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's just been a, uh, a really tough year for us to get parks at a reasonable price that makes sense. And, you know, we don't want to overpay for the upside potential that's there. But at the same time, I think cap rates haven't caught up with interest rates, right? Interest rates are now well above 6% and cap rates are they're still... You know, the sellers are still expecting these these lower cap rates from a year ago. So maybe you can comment on that and how you're you're finding deals and maybe like what type of cap rate you're looking to acquire at that makes sense with your stabilized model. Yeah. So yeah, sellers certainly haven't caught up with the times and the rates. They they don't care. They're they're always kind of gonna be like that. That's my price, that's what I want. And so they're still in the five to six cap expectations, even though rates have exceeded that. So fortunately for the parks that we have under contract currently, it's 
I don't know if this is by luck or by design. The, the parks that we have under contract both have, or two of them have assumable Fannie Mae loans at one's at 3.55% on a 10 year fixed and others at four point, I think 4.67. So it's going to give you a little bit lower leverage. We're assuming the loan, there's still 10 plus years left on these loans, but we're going to get a little bit less leverage than we would with a new loan, but it allows us to keep a nice spread between our purchase cap rate. And then also the debt service coverage ratio is pushing two plus because, you know, we're putting down, you know, 45 to 50%. And so it's going to cash flow nicely, be able to pay investors a pref. And it's kind of been the only way of being able to see to make a deal work in this current market is to find a park that already has a good agency loan on it and then assume it. And then to kind of piggyback wow. on that, it is possible to assume, get a loan assumption. And then also you can get a supplemental on top of that Fannie Mae loan at, at assumption. But the, the assumable, or sorry, the, the loan, supplemental loan would be at a, the current rate. So you could lock in that assumable rate at 3.55, but then if we put a supplemental on there, it'd be 6.255. So we decided not to do that at this time. That's very interesting. I've actually, I've spoke to people, spoken to people about assuming the financing, but the biggest issue is that, you know, new buyers want to put a proper amount of leverage on the deal to make the numbers work. So you said lower leverage, you're putting like 45 to 50% down as a down payment. Correct. Yeah. So it, it makes, yeah, that is a larger down payment. Uh, The numbers still work with with some of these parts that were right at about an in-place six cap on purchase. And, it was, and then with that rate, it's a 3.55% rate. So you have about a two and a half percent spread going in, but with utility bill back, because with both these parks that, that I'm talking about with the assumable loans have lot rent increased potential, they're under market lot rents and the park is paying the water and sewer. So while there's not the huge infill opportunity, there's still the bringing the rents to market and billing back utilities. So we can push the cap rate to a decent, you know, mid six to high six in year one and create a nice spread. So while it does require more money down and more capital, we're going to have, you know, after three or four years, we should have a substantial amount of equity in the property, which would make getting a supplemental at that time easier to do, assuming the rates come back down. That's the big if. So, and if the rates don't come back down, then we have still have a 3.55% rate for 10 years and it'll cash flow nicely. So, we're pretty excited about this one. Everything else on market, like you've mentioned, I haven't been able to make work because sellers want a five or six cap and you're getting loan term sheets at 6.25% and it might even go up. So that's kind of what our, what we're doing at this time. And tell me, you know, I know there's like a minimum supplemental loan amount. I think you have to add like a million dollars worth yep. of value to the property. So your, your supplemental loan has to be at least a million. Correct. Is that the case with these, these deals? Yeah, you're going to need to, have to put a million dollars of value. So by year four or five, we would have already a million in, in added. It's not necessarily value add component infill, but by just improving the efficiency of the park and bringing market lot rents to market, we would add at least a million dollars in value. Nice. Very nice. So yeah, it seems like a very conservative, you know, conservative approach, right? You're, you're having very low leverage and then you're going to add value. So uh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. What would you say is the hardest value add component? And, and maybe why do you shy away from some of the more value add parks? Yeah, so value add is, it, that word just gets tossed around day in and day out. And value add, bringing in homes is, it's a challenge. It's gotten a little bit easier now, but for the last couple of years and during COVID, there was, you know, unless you're someone buying hundred homes at a time, you're on the back list over at Clayton. Uh, true home, all these all these manufacturers, unless you're a big time player, you're you're at the back of the list. 
you can go after used homes. That, that's also an option. But significantly, the pricing of the homes has gone up from thirty to forty thousand for a new home up to seventy to eighty. So that's a huge factor in that. Uh, also, it's not as easy as they also say on the podcast to just. There's some agencies they say go through them, go through the blank blank program and and bring in new homes. It's not as easy to get signed up for that unless you're a huge player there. There, your application could take a couple of years. So just the frustrations that we've encountered. And it's just, it's not as easy. It looks great on, a, on paper, but from capital standpoint, from labor standpoint, from personal brain damage standpoint, it's just a lot more work. So you can only do so many large turnover and, and infill projects at once. And as, as you know, from doing it long enough, it, it takes a lot of manpower. And I, I think you were just on your previous podcast where you interviewed yourself or you, you, you were the guest, you talked about someone going there and living there for six months doing the infill. So it's literally a hands-on. I mean, you got to be there every day. We had did some infill projects where they delivered the wrong the home to the wrong park. I mean, it's it's oh. just there's it's just there's just so many different things that have been through that just yeah. make me want to focus more on stabilized properties. And it's not going to look as sexy for prospective investors, but it's a more coupon clipper type asset than you know than a huge value add that pencils out at a thirty IRR, but it's going to take years to accomplish. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, infill is is. Uh it could be difficult. You know, like you said, it's not super complex, right? You're buying a home, you're putting <laughs> yeah. it on the lot yeah, yeah. and then you're, you're selling it, but a lot can go wrong, you know, in the, the process. So yeah, it's staying on top of things and, and you need a team, like you said, to be able to just do that. Very cool. Well, well, thanks for sharing that. How has your mobile home park investing strategy changed, you know, from when you first started to now, and maybe you could shed some light on, on why. Yeah, first start till now, I was looking more at smaller parks. And then you kind of hear over time, everyone's just go bigger, go bigger. Just from, you know, everything to repair a sewer in a 20 unit park is going to be the same as in a larger park. Try to just go bigger and then markets with higher lot rents, just because the, the higher the lot rent, it's also the same price for a home, you know, $200 lot rent market. The home price is typically the same as in a $450 lot rent market. So trying to go into, we don't have to be in necessarily be in Denver, Colorado, but try to be in markets with a lot rents, you know, pushing three to 400 and then also parks 50 units plus looking at the beginning, I didn't necessarily look at the end game, which is the refinance. And then typically we want to see, we're going to put that permanent agency debt on there. They're going to want 50 units plus. So we try to look for 50 unit plus and then have off street parking and kind of identify what the agency lenders Fannie Mae are going to want when it comes time to refinance. Very smart. Very smart. Yeah. I Rhett Trees, who was on the podcast, He's a mentor of mine. You know, his strategy going in is, hey, if, if the park doesn't, doesn't qualify for Freddie Mac debt and we can't get a supplemental on it, we're not going to buy it. And like, it's just, it's very smart. That's the criteria is, will this qualify for agency financing and will be, we be able to put a supplemental loan on it? Which just seems like yours is very similar, which is, which is very smart. So cool. What mistakes have you made that we could learn from? Uh, just not being all the way knowledge, you know, all the way up to speed on like I can't, I've told people before is I didn't know being from California. I didn't even know what heat tape or frozen pipes were. And we had a park that <laughs> thankfully, thankfully my first park that I, I partnered with an experienced operator, the pipes froze up. And I told this story on, on Valentine's day, the pipes froze up, tenants calling, had to take out the salamander heater of the property. All that there's, the whole park was frozen up. We're under the, under the, homes with the salamander heater, unfreezing the pipes. I'm freezing cold because it's negative 15. I, my body's still, it's never going to adjust to that cold. Melting my hands and my gloves with the salamander heater. And now I got burnt hands. And just 
and they don't know really dangerous yeah how yeah. dangerous is that yeah. process like i've done yeah. it as myself but literally for those of you that don't know what a salamander heater is it's basically a flamethrower <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. throwing flames right underneath of this home at the water lines am i, am I yeah, yeah i mean so, it's not like a huge flamethrower it's like a small one but like that's pretty much what it's doing right yeah but you yeah you it is throwing flames but you think it's something you buy in the store it shouldn't be that dangerous but yeah it literally can burn your hands off so yeah yes. so i guess just just <laughs> not and i don't know if i could have prepared for that or, or not but just not knowing everything and you're going to make those mistakes and, and you learn by doing so now i know when when purchasing a new park if it's somewhere where it's cold, check for heat tape. Yeah, I mean, that's something yes. make sure all the homes have heat tape. And I, I also learned it's not the best to close in mid-December or early January if you're in a cold state in either yeah. Midwest or Great Plains. So time you're closing, I mean, I, I don't know if you can necessarily stall until it gets warmer, but that's something to really pay attention to is the timing you're closing in the season. Yeah, that's good feedback. If, if you can, uh, if, you can. You know, if you can do that, right? What are the most important things passive investors, you know, LP, you know, limited partners, what do they need to look out for when investing into mobile home parks in your eyes? Yeah, I think everyone kind of, like this gets said a lot is obviously the sponsor and their track record. But if you're an LP and it's, it's not a fund, it's an actual one-off deal. I, if I was an LP and I would go visit the property if possible and see with my own eyes. Um, we've had an LP on a previous deal that, or actually one of our current deals, mm -hmm flew out to Ohio to look at the park with us. And he's, you know, considering placing a significant amount of money. I don't blame him for wanting to see the property. So took a look at the property. And if you're a, if you're a GP or a sponsor, you should be confident in the property and, and you should want them to come see it. And you can show them, Hey, look how nice this property is we're purchasing. And it works for both. It helps you convey the, you know, the beauty or the whatever of the park. And then as the investor, it gives them much more comfort having seen a property. So I know as you get bigger, you can't have every investor come out to your property and inspect the park under contract. But when you're starting out, I mean, that's to form those relationships. That might be something to do. And, and what should they look for? What, what, if they go to the property or they have someone go take pictures, you know, what, what are they looking for, you know, for, for the untrained eye? Yeah. So ideally, you'll see if it's a, it's a senior park, there'll be people maintaining their yards, mowing their yards, making it look better, and hopefully not working on cars on jack stands in the, you know, you want to working to improve the park's appearance versus take away from it. So you want either people to be gone during the day, that means they're at work, or if it's a senior community, you want them at home working on their yard, maintaining that high quality of ownership. And then just look at anything that seems out of place. It can, it's not going to be the same as looking at maybe a single family house, but there are some similarities. You want nice maintained yards. You want the roads to look nice and just general overall aesthetics of the park to be nice trees trim, grass cut, and just a you know, presentable product. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing that I, I recommended in a previous podcast is, you know, are the majority of the homes flat roof homes or are they pitched? Pitched, pitched roof homes. Because the pitched roof homes are usually manufactured more recently than the flat roofed or the round roof homes. And those homes have a longer life expectancy. So they're going to, you know, post HUD, right? Post 1978 when they started to be manufactured. And they will last longer, so you'll have you know potentially lower turnover, which is you know something that can be high in you know a park that's all 1960s, really small, 12 wide homes that are really hard to fill, quite honestly, with with what people want today. Yeah, that's actually that's a great point, Andrew. I was gonna, yeah, that's the older home inventory is a huge factor in parks that we purchase. You can kind of tell by the aerial quickly. You can see a shingle roof, pitch roof versus a flat metal roof with rust. 
it's a night and day difference managing a park with all newer homes versus all 60s and 70s homes. Even there's some parks still, still floating around with 50s homes. So that age of the home is a huge deal. So that's a great point to make if you're if you're a new investor or passive investor, look at the homes. If they have if it goes like this pitch, it's good. If it's flat or kind of like a little bit rounded, not good. Or if it goes like this and then up, right? No, people can't see me if they're listening on the on the podcast. But if there's like a if the different elevations in the roof, different levels, it's like usually a '60s home. Those those are those are no good. So not as not as desirable, right? I mean, there's Correct. some of them that are in really great shape that people have maintained well, but most of the time yes. they need more work and we'll have more more turnover so yeah that's a that's a great point is the the age of the homes and the size of the homes the smaller the homes if there's like looks like a 12 foot wide home it's going to be tougher to get a long term tenant to stay in that home compared to a 14 by 70 you know bigger home that's uh, that's newer so that's awesome so tell me what's your preference tenant owned homes or park owned homes yeah, I'm big on tenant-owned homes. Out of out of 300 par or 300 lots, I mean, we're we're looking at every single one tenant-owned home. And I, I would I would take park-owned home because, it, and in a small number, if there's some park-owned homes that can be sold, um, we've had some good luck getting vacant park-owned homes that are in decent condition that can be sold, which would you can kind of pick your tenant, and then you can also get a little bit of extra cash flow to investors based on home sales. But for the most part, we want all tenant-owned homes. We'd rather just rent the land rather than have to get into the, the, the landlord game of renting out individual homes. Totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. On, on the tenant-owned homes in our portfolio, we did a study and literally the turnover on a tenant-owned home was around 5% annually. Yeah. So, wow. and, and those are typically on older homes, right? That were not in the best of shape, older or rougher looking homes, where on the park-owned homes, that turnover rate was much higher. It was, it was closer to 50% you know, on the ones that even, even if they're sold on contract on a lease to own type of arrangement, you know, the turnover was much higher. So the faster you can get them to be tenant owned, the better in my eyes. Let me ask you this, what does your team look like? Yeah, so from operations standpoint, we have, my fiance is handles the, she's the numbers expert. She was, when I was at the car job, she was a finance manager. And so she's very strong on finances. She does the bookkeeping. She does the more on the on the finance side. As far as management, we just have on-site management. We're we're grooming a property manager to oversee them. So we're trying to stay light in that regards. Once you start taking on the park owned home model, then you're going to need more so an on-site manager. We're trying to stay lean and then be able to manage most of the parks in-house based on the parks that we're purchasing. Kind of keep it a leaner team and then. If we were to take on infill projects, obviously that would have to expand to have more in the field staff, but for now, pretty, pretty lean staff under five people. Nice. Yeah. So really it's, you know, from the corporate office standpoint, it's just you and your fiance right now. Correct. Right? That's tough. I remember those days, you know, like for the first five parks that, that I bought, you know, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, fill the gap tasks, right. From who's opening the mail, right. Who's. Who's, uh, you know, who's manning rent manager, who's, you know, doing all these fill the gap tasks that can be, it can be a lot. So, but yeah, I think you're doing it right. You know, you have to just slowly scale up uh, to be able to add, you know, add team members for sure. Yeah. Andrew, I, I see you're on your Instagram, you're, you're traveling, you're doing your, your Ironmans and all that stuff. And I'm like, man, I, I want to get to that stage where I have that much freedom. Cause right now I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm back to the car sales times. I'm, I'm working every day hard, but eventually eventually you get there and you can kind of you know build the team a little bit bigger up beneath you and have have a little more free time because definitely envious of the the things you're able to do oh i appreciate fishing. that yeah fishing 
Yeah. I love fishing. Yeah. It just takes time, you know, to, to get there. And, you know, early on, you're, you're going to have to sacrifice, you're going to have to put in the work. But one thing I will say is, you know, as you're able to grow a portfolio, now you can afford team members and you can silo off, you know, their jobs for different parts of the business. And that has been monumental for us. We manage parks way better today than we did when it was just me, because now we're allowed, you know, we have talent that can do just home sales or just infill or just utility bill audits every month, you know, to make sure that our, our water sewer recapture is where it should be. So yeah, it's just, it just takes time to get up there, but in the beginning, it'll be, it'll be a lot of work, but just put your head down and get through it. Right. Yep. Awesome. What does the perfect mobile home park look like in your eyes and why? Yeah. So you, you sort of touched on it. I was going to bring this up in the, the previous question you asked as far as it's not an answer that you always get, but perfect mobile home park is one that's being run pretty well by the current operator, ideally a mom and pop, but they just, they do some things that make you kind of scratch your head with the most perfect park that we purchased before was all tenant owned homes, but there was five vacant park owned homes. We got into them. Every single one was in perfect condition. They had for sale signs on them, but just no phone number. And when we took over ownership, the tenants, the people would drive by saying they've been trying to buy that house for five years. We, we <laughs> sold them all. We sold them all in the first month and they, we had no rehab. So got some nice cash flow from that. But on top of that, a park where every tenant has an email address and you can get them set up on auto pay. That's kind of the perffect park. It's a lot easier to the trying to process and scan every check and take pay payments by mail payment tenants telling you they send it in the mail. It's just, if you can get your, everyone set up on ePay, go through rent manager, makes everything much easier. So a perfect park would be all tenant owned homes. Everyone set up on pay lease. Yeah. That's a must. Yeah. yeah. Pay lease for sure that otherwise you need a full-time person just to Correct. do that. Right. Open, Correct. open the mail, you know, deposit the checks and uh, keep track of everything. So yeah, I agree. Pay lease has been a, a huge help for us as well. Very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, Andy. What does the future of mobile home park investing look like in your eyes? You know, and how do you see mobile home parks fitting in with the direction the economy's going? You know, there's recession being mentioned quite often, you know, interest rates are above 6%. How do you think, you know, that will affect mobile home parks? Yeah, I think it's mobile home parks are going to still withstand be re recession resistant, but I I think the thing to look at is there's a lot of people that took out loans either five to 10 years ago, whose loans are coming due, who are needing to refinance right now in this market that might've had lower rates from back then, three, 4%. And now they're in this environment where they may not be able to refinance at a six or 7% rate. Um, there might be people selling for those reasons. And then obviously the, the rates going in are a lot higher. So there's going to be some change. I think sellers are eventually going to realize, hey, I can't get my price anymore. So that's going to change. But I still think it's going to be re recession resistant. I know you're big in storage, self-storage. I think self-storage is going to shine. Mobile home parks might take a little bit, a bit of a hit, but RV parks, mobile home parks, and, and self-storage, I think, are going to still lead the pack when it, you know, the, if this recession does hit. Yeah, yeah. One, one thing I saw recently that I thought was really intriguing is that the bottom 50% of, of income earners they have 50% more money in their bank accounts now than they did before COVID, you know? And, oh. and I think that's, that's powerful. You know, it says a lot about the working class and they also have leverage now, right? They're getting higher wages and, you know, inflation obviously is eating some of that away, but I, I do believe that the, the lower income, you know, demographic, you know, they, that, which is, you know, mainly in affordable housing who we serve, 
you know, I think they're doing, they're doing better. You know, they have that money in their bank accounts now. And uh, that was just, that was a good sign. I thought for mobile home parks as a whole. Yeah. I, I haven't seen that, but that, that is very good because that means it doesn't necessarily mean they can go rent up to a class B or A apartment, but that means they can make their payments and, and afford more in a mobile home and, and, and be a better tenant. So that's great. Exactly. Yeah. And then through COVID, there was a ton of that rental assistance programs from the state and, and federal level that, you know, really helped tremendously to, to cover when people did get into, get into buying. So yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think mobile home parks should do well. I, I think the interest rates will affect things. You know, like you said, if people are trying to refinance right now, which we are in a couple oh, of our deals yeah. and it's like, it's not a good time. But when you look at like the broad spectrum of like the average interest rate over the last 50 years, you know, it's actually around 6%, you know? So it's, yeah. it's not, uh, it's not 3% what we kind of got used to, but I think over the, the broad spectrum, it's still a, a reasonable rate that we can still get deals done at. So what are you guys going to do? Are you going to just continue and refinance now? It doesn't look like it's going to be going down anytime soon. So just kind of bite the bullet and refinance at the current rate or just, yeah. Or just hold. Okay. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to go ahead and it's a, it's an agency Fannie Mae loan. So, you know, the interest only component, you know, oh. we don't, we don't pro forma for that, but you know, that's just really gravy on top that really helps when you can get five or 10 years of interest only on a portfolio. So yeah, we're going to bite the bullet, but yeah, it's not ideal, right? You know, I wish yeah. it was 3%, but <laughs> the value add wasn't done a year ago. So yeah. we, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't do it then, but yeah, I think we'll be all right overall. How can listeners get a hold of you or enjoy capital if they would like to do so, Andy? Yeah, you can reach me, Andy, at enjoycommunities.com. Enjoy Capital is the capital arm of Enjoy Communities. So it's Andy at enjoycommunities.com or on LinkedIn, trying to be a bigger poster on LinkedIn, but just Andy Freeman on LinkedIn. And it's probably the best way to find me. So really appreciate you having me on here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and dropping some golden nuggets. You know, really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. I'll see you around. Awesome. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Hey, are you getting value out of this show? If so, would you mind please going over to iTunes and leaving the show a quick five-star review? I have a goal of hitting over 100 five-star reviews by the end of 2021, and it would mean the absolute world to me if you could help contribute to that. Thanks ahead of time for making my day with your five-star review of the show.